Hello and welcome to the Pod People Under the Stairs, America's gimpiest podcast. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm eating beans out in the street. I'm Zombie Metallica's number one fan, Ben Sheets. And I'm the Roachdist with the Moachdist. <laughs> Call me Cleveland Mosier, because that's my actual name. Oh, really? Yeah. I've just been called you Roached Moached. Ro- Roachdist with the Moachdist. I'm also uh, Simpin' for a Gimpin'. That was the other one that came to me right when we started. Uh, Simpin' for a Gimpin' is pretty good. Yeah. Um, well, before we get started, Cleveland, you said you had, uh, you had an oh. announcement. <laughs> okay, yeah, right. So, um... I didn't really do any research on it uh, again uh, to make sure. Great way to start. <laughs> but I believe uh, that I flubbed the other week uh, when I mentioned that Universal was releasing its monster movies on, on YouTube, YouTube for free. Uh, I think the the misconception is that they, rele- they were releasing them on YouTube. I, I, I think. I don't know. I just went to check and they weren't up for free. You had to fucking buy or rent them um, again on YouTube. Wow. Uh, I was and really bummed really- out. You were really emphasizing for free last time. Well, yeah, because like the articles, which were like by like legitimate fucking sites, uh, uh, seem to make it clear. But anyway, uh, the point is, is that what I what I think the misconception was is they were free on those dates. Like they were doing like a special release, and it's like I don't have fucking time for that. I'm not gonna schedule my fucking life around a movie that came out in the 40s. Like I got I got shit to do. The funniest part of that is. Those movies will all be in the public domain in like five or ten years, anyways. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, who's even? Why not? About it? Yeah, why not just give them out for free? I was really excited, and then I went to go watch it. Cleveland, you know. because you have led our dear listeners astray, you are officially canceled and voted off of the podcast. Yes. Well, uh, as you, you have said to before, go. what is you have to go home now? What is dead can never die. What is canceled can already canceled cannot be canceled cannot be canceled again yeah that's right but it'll come back more canceled so yeah uh, or less canceled uh, deal with it uh I, I put out some misinformation but i think even then i was prefacing by i was just reading an article and wasn't sure uh which isn't great uh you know but uh it's what it is but anyway yeah so i, I couldn't find him on youtube i was a little, little bummed out about that and uh cleveland i do think Mosher. that article was misleading cleveland Mosier confirmed podcast liar i know i know that's how you're gonna be known forever now yeah well you know it's even more embarrassing because like i first found it on the front page of reddit and then i thought oh yeah which n- never never trust that like jesus which i didn't I, I then went to the article and looked it up and it was like oh yeah i've seen this website before they, cleveland Mosier confirmed podcast and, liar and reddit believer and i guess i guess that like yeah it's just it was misleading as shit if that is even the case i don't know maybe <laughs> the whole thing was a lie i trust no one is really the the, the moral here um, yeah i mean if you've been going around just trusting people willy-nilly especially mm. the film studios yeah you can't trust that yeah anywho let's move on to our subject of the evening uh we are going to be talking about ben's pick this week and ben picked the 1991 wes craven film the people under the stairs uh which stars brandon quentin adams everett mcgill wendy robbie A.J. Langer, and Ving Rhames, my man. Ben, tell us, what are those people doing under the stairs? Well, a lot. So I, I picked this movie because 
I I feel like it's a really really good movie that goes under the radar a lot. Under and the stairs. Under the stairs, truly. And uh, there was a recent announcement that Jordan Peele was going to be producing a remake of this movie. I remember when I originally watched it back in high school, really enjoying it and really thinking it's kind of a fun, creative premise, very Home Alone and silly at times, but also extremely political and politically charged and honestly on revisiting i think it's more relevant than ever um i think it's a yeah, i think it's aged very well yeah surprisingly. it's aged fantastically yeah, for being 30 years old yeah and i think uh some of the 90s dialogue and silliness like it does show its age but it doesn't bother me in this and uh i'm i'm really excited to hear your guys's opinion because i think it's both of your first time viewing this movie yeah uh yeah i i knew nothing about this film i'd heard the title uh once or twice i haven't even seen that many wes craven films so this was yeah this is pretty fresh for me um, for a moment, I was thinking that Wes Craven was the, the person who directed The Crow or something. I was like, who is this? You know, who's this director? I don't, I don't know. I, I never claimed to, to know things about horror movies. Or, as, and as you heard from my apology at the beginning, I, just, I try to not claim to know things. Confirmed podcast live. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, once again, trust no one, especially me. Uh, so, yeah, I, I went in not really knowing much of anything and was just constantly pleasantly surprised. I was... A little concerned when the people under the stairs were first introduced. I won't get into the plot too much, but then I really liked the direction they went. The tone is wild. What a wacky film. I fully agree that this this movie is is as relevant now as it was when it came out, um, especially considering like... If not more so. Yeah, like the, the hard times that everyone has fallen under during the pandemic. Uh, it's It's very relatable and... Oh, boy, howdy, do I love the idea of Jordan Peele directing it. You said he's producing it, so hopefully, you yeah. know, because here's the thing. I think this I would can be a good this, for him to direct. I know. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I could see this movie being just so poignant in a remake. Like, you could do it with a similar vibe as to how they've been prepping us for Candyman. Still haven't seen the new one, but, like, that same idea of it just taking place down the road, because it is, like, a generational villain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, either just carrying on the premise, a soft remake, or whatever, or just remaking it. And I could see it being great, even set at the same set at the same time. But now, I mean, why not do it now when it's yeah, just as relevant? I think, like, I think, I think that would be easily, supreme. very, very easily modernize this movie. Yeah, and, I think and that changed little. I, I hope that it does end up being Jordan Peele directed and not just produced because I think he has the uh, right sensibilities and right sense of humor to make this movie in the yes. modern you day. You can definitely tell that this influenced his movies directly, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. between Get Out and uh, Us especially. Um, there's a lot of crossover between the, the sense of humor and the way it uses satire and uh, politically charged themes. What's interesting to me is so much of Peel's work is allegory. You can impose like something political on the monster, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. Whereas here, it's pretty direct. It's um, landowners. It's uh, landlords. landlords. Well, it's, and it's Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Yeah. So it's 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 much more direct. But what works about this film is. Honestly, I think it is the the directness of it. It's not trying 
super hard to hand wave towards it. It's just enjoying it for what it is. It's there and it's not at no time it's saying like all landlords or whatever else, but these landlords and often, you know, in many cases, landlords. Well, white America, essentially. And that rules like you can and you can play at all the themes, but it's never it it never goes. Oh, look what we're doing at at the viewer, which is, I think, what makes like a lot of political stuff insufferable. It doesn't need to. Absolutely doesn't. Because it's uh, subtlety is not its goal in any way. It's very blatant about what it's (laughs) trying to say and what it's doing. But it's the plot that's blatant, right? It's the events that are occurring and the tone around it that is blatant. It's not necessarily the themes. And that rules like the themes are direct. They're there, but like it's not. It, it, you know, it never says like, oh, my God, Ronald Reagan, you know, like he's it's on not, a picture on a wall yeah, in the background. It, <laughs> it's not it's not anything huge. Whereas I would be concerned in a remake of missing that point. I would be I would be concerned about said director hand waving a little too much and pulling, pulling a Wonder Woman uh, 1984 yeah. and just making one of the landlords straight up Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like and just over baking it, you know, um, I can I can see that just oof, that would that would be painful, especially when like it's so ripe for a remake um, and a political one and, and to still be relevant yeah. and poignant. But, oh, please be careful, like tread lightly. Um, you know, again, like I could I could give a shit what direction politically it leans in or what it says there. It's just a matter of not being too hand wavy. Yeah. Well, we should explain what the movie is. Yeah, it's time. Yeah. Let's, Before we, let's we, go ahead and dive we, into the plot. Yeah, go too esoteric. I think yeah. so. The movie but. essentially <laughs> is about a kid named Fool. Uh, his nickname is Fool, mm-hmm. and uh, his family is being charged an absurd amount for rent uh, because the landlord is trying to push their family out, and the mom has cancer, so they're really struggling to make ends meet. And Ving Rames, who is a a robber and a petty thief, a burglar, yeah, yeah. he he comes in and you know offers a way to get some money, salvation by yeah. robbing. The landlords. He's figured out where the landlords live because he robbed a liquor store that they also own and found a piece of mail addressed to them that has the address. So he essentially offers Fool the chance to sneak into the house under false pretenses, do some snooping, find out where they keep their uh, gold coins, coins, and then uh, Ving Rhames and his partner will uh, will rob them. And it's great, too. They make it the idea. (laughs) They make it very clear, like, these are the most evil landlords, too. Like, like before seeing them, before anything, Mm -hmm. because it's not just that, like, they can't they're they're barely able to make the rent and the mom has cancer, which is bad enough right it's also that they're the the these landlords have jacked up the rent in this area to try and move, force everyone out so that so, they can so rebuild they're, they're something really, else yeah. so lords. they can build condos yes. yeah yes. they buy they buy apartment buildings in low income predominantly black neighborhoods jack up the prices to drive the people out then tear down the buildings and build luxury condos what, which is very one, much a thing and uh, yeah look at very much we a fucking thing. are one minor move that yeah. what does that i really think is poignant is the Reaganite family. They're slumlords, but they also own chains of liquor stores mm-hmm. and a funeral home business, you know? Yeah. He, he's really saying something with that in that, you know, it's just taking advantage of the vulnerable and suffering. Now, before we go too much farther, we've got, a, uh, I think, uh, we did a great job of uh, setting up the, the pitch, the initial premise, the book cover. 
you know, uh, description. But beyond that, I, I would I would like to say too, like me not knowing anything about this movie, thinking, is it a ghoul movie? Is it a is it a monster film? What kind of film is this? I was constantly and pleasantly surprised by what was given. Um, and I would say uh, we've already said like such a such a great deal about this film, even if we haven't gotten into the twists or whatever, that if you're not familiar with this film, I just go watch it. It's it's really, really delightful, like not knowing anything going in. So, you know, you've been warned. Uh, As I think always, we can, yeah. spoilers. But I think we can go on from here. But yeah. wow, yeah, it's just that really made it fun for me. I think is just having having no knowledge going in. Much like the house, there's a lot of twists and turns. Yes, yes. Um, so this movie kind of turns into once they go to the house, it becomes a sort of I, I like to call it a reverse Home Alone. Yeah, akin to almost like Don't Breathe in a way. Where it's a lot of parallels, you know, for sure. Or uh, to name a lesser film, The Collector, <laughs> yeah, as well. I, there there are a lot film. of parallels between The Collector and this film. Uh, unfortunately, I would unfortunately because like The Collector is you know I would not, even go so movie. far as to say that The Collector was directly inspired by this film. Yes, in yeah, many many ways. It's like, much worse though. Yeah. Yes. Whereas Don't Breathe is a pretty decent movie. I do still think uh, The Collector has some fun ideas. I will say, and we're never going to talk about it on the podcast. Uh, but you know, like, well, food for thought later. We can bring. I'll bring it up again in a bit. Um, let's, let's stick on. But yeah, I think uh, Bing Rames's character is very charismatic and fun yes. in this movie. He has a lot of great lines. I love that the family, they just pulled him from Twin Peaks. Yes, um, we should mention that. The the landlords are uh, Everett McGill and Wendy Robbie, who Twin Peaks fans might recognize as Big Ed and Nadine. Yep. Just uh, couples on both shows yes. or both on the show and in, the, in this movie. Yeah. Very pleasant surprise to see them. And also what a great casting. Yeah. Marvelous they are, casting. They're so they're so good. I, I really I especially liked how much of an opportunity Everett McGill in this movie mm-hmm. had to get a little kookier with it, because in Twin Peaks, he is very much like the straight man. He's very stoic and flat. And in this movie, he is uh, the opposite of that. Almost literally chewing the scenery. Completely cartoon. I mean, they both are completely cartoonish. Yes. They make the film very much so. Oh, yeah. Well, the film would be nothing without the two of them. What I'll also say uh, is uh, around the time that our protagonist gets to the house, so, you know, 15 minutes into the film, I was relieved because we'd had a number of opportunities where our child actor was able to show his chops and wasn't obnoxious as hell. This kid, the uh, fool is the name of the character, mm-hmm. that that kid rules. Like, thank God, He's great. the whole movie would would fall apart with without like him supporting it. And, you know, he, he does a he does a great job from beginning to end. You can really see the movie through his eyes, you know, much akin to Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone, which is which is great. This whole premise would just fall apart. One of the things that I love about him, too, is he's. He's so relatable in so many ways. He's so, like, savvy and clever. And the one scene when he first starts going into the basement, like, right before he sees the people who are down there, um, like, he's going down the stairs and he sees, like, something move off in the basement or hears something. He's just like, 
I ain't stupid. It just turns around <laughs> and goes, fuck yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome. <laughs> like, that's what anybody should do in yeah. this situation. Well, and he keeps like, making those smart moves, especially when the adults around him, both good or ill, are making dumb moves, uh, much akin to, like, uh, young adult books and movies. Uh, you know, the, the kids are smart and the adults are all stupid. stupid. Yeah. Um, and I love that. Like, that, that tone is very consistent throughout the film. And we see this in a lot of movies now that play off of like YA um, styles of writing, um, but kind of ramp up the edge factor for the sake of nostalgia, right? So it's like, oh yeah, I remember watching movies like this when I was a kid, but ooh, this has adult content in it. It's kind of edgy and fun. And to see a movie do it so well from like the 80s is great. The style of direction, the way that all the information is so loudly delivered, um, and again, like those little motifs, like the kid, like always being smarter, it all feels like a YA film, like a young adult or kids movie, uh, especially like the bombastic score, all of it, like from front to back. This, apart from the content, is a, basically a kids film, but the content is not at all. Yeah. Like, this is not it's for not kids. It's not a kids movie. Like, it's gory, it's violent, it's graphic, and I love it. Like, that, it's it's so much fun. That's the thing. It's such a unique tone that, like, it's very difficult to pull off well, and one of the reasons, like, a remake would have to very carefully script everything out yeah. to make sure it nails that. And that's why I think Jordan Peele's the perfect person to do it. Yeah. Because he's a comedian, he has a great sense of humor and would know how to make it funny, but he's also very politically minded and very smart and savvy and is very good at commentary. Yes. And I think that like a knowledge of all of those things is absolutely necessary for a remake of this movie. And that's all stuff that Wes Craven was good at too. Like why he's the, I think the only person who could make a movie like this in the first place. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's one of those subject matters that has only become more politically charged over time you know yeah. think of like trayvon martin for example and stand your ground in a way the quote-unquote law would view the the family as heroes for protecting their yeah. house but obviously in the movie they're they're evil monsters yeah. And, and of course, like I think like the these are all things that were uh, as politically charged at the at the time as well. Like uh, there were there were so many events, you know, to to be spoken for, you know, including like the firebombing of move and, you know, like uh, the whole like black power movement and, and the rest. These are things I think like that have always been poignant. The, the interesting thing is that now also with covid and everything else, it is even more broadly pointing it. And it's also more accessibly well, like, we're also accessible in the, midst, in the news. We're also in the midst of an eviction crisis right yes. now where people are being evicted from their homes because they can't pay their bills because they have not been able to work during COVID and there's been no sort of relief to uh, help people not be fucking kicked out of their homes. So, like, this is... If there's ever a time to remake this movie, it's now. Yes. <laughs> like, it's right, it's right fucking now. Well, let's let's keep talking about uh, about the film a little bit. Um, once Fool gets into the house, and we've been introduced to uh, our our evil landlords Ed and Nadine, um, <laughs> which is what I will call them for the rest of the film, just uh, just for convenience. He uh, quickly discovers that there is something very much not right about these people in this house. He and Ving Rhames end up getting trapped inside the house because once 
uh, Ed and Nadine realize they're uh, they're robbers. They uh, activate their home security system and lock the place down tight with um, like fucking a bunch of locks and like blast shutters uh, on the on the doors and windows. There's uh, they have traps all over the house. Uh, the the step the staircase that goes down into the basement has a lever that turns it from a staircase into a ramp. We see that. Yeah, a sides. slide. A slide. Which again is like so like kids movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love it too because like everything is practical and can be explained away in some capacity. Uh, everything is practical in this film. Like it, it's there. It's tangible. They made the staircase. They, you know, all the shutters. It's all like latches and things that these like these crazy people could build. It does get larger than life like it is cartoony in its execution but like i think the the biggest trap of all like they use in the film is just the guard dog um yes prince the the rottweiler the the rottweiler yeah Yeah. and who if he you know wasn't trained to to hunt down people would be a very good boy and i mean irl like you can tell that's a very good boy that's a very good good dog like super well trained you could see that it was at times i think uh you could you could tell it was difficult for them to get like the dog to be snarling and angry looking because they often don't show the dog's face like when it's getting menacing there's even like a couple times where they use like puppetry instead uh the the introduction of the dog which is very early on in the film is great I, I do want to break apart that scene i think now uh go for it so they first get into the house and this is before this is before it even gets locked down i think yeah. and yeah we're introduced to the dog and it runs into the room and it attacks some um, what's his name uh ving rames ving rames uh it, it attacks ving rames and i love the editing of this sh- this sequence uh it cuts away and back at him at, like all the perfect times with him like with a dog over him uh in a scene like that it can be very hard to do like working with animals is like notoriously difficult so it can be tricky to make the dog look like it's actually attacking the man when it's you know it's it's just playful yeah and uh they switch in and out between puppetry like at all the perfect times and the it's cut quick enough that the puppetry like isn't like bad or noticeable it's just kind of fun and uh it, the the tension is maintained and then after they he throws the dog off of him they do the bit where they they get into another room and they slam the door and it's sort of a greenhouse room and there's a big window there and the camera sort of pulled back a little bit and at an angle where it's like facing the door and we can see into the room but we can't see down Ving Rhames is holding the door and he says check what's the what's the dog doing and the kid goes up to the window and he looks down and over uh, camera stays stationary and he just says it's just sitting there watching us and then they fix the door and they go on their way and I think a, a lesser movie would have done a jump scare there like and have we don't we just jump up against the window against the glass yeah. you know a la um, Independence Day or, or whatever you know like uh, and it's so it was it was really refreshing because the dog had they already had a jump scare with the dog this movie has plenty of great jump scares in it but like it the the pacing is perfect because then we get to ease back the tension a little bit but still maintain it uh, because without even seeing the dog you know the kid just saying like it's just sitting there watching us is so much creepier than the dog leaping up on the glass or whatever. And it's just like a lesser director, I think, would have just, you know, like had another opportunity for a jump scare or whatever. So I I, I appreciate those little touches and details. This movie has such a great sense of detail, honestly. Between those little details in the scripting to, you know, like the practical effects, like you said, and even the details of the production design of the home, I think, you know, the areas between the walls are so full of character. I I think it's so well done. And if you didn't give it such an attention to detail, it wouldn't be so tactile 
and you would be pulled out of it because it, this movie's so silly that it only works because you're so brought into the world. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, the how the location is very much a character, much like the Overlook Hotel, and it's supposed to be twisty and turny and confusing. Um, you know, we learn that there's all kinds of hidden passageways and crawl spaces and stuff uh, between the walls, and uh, it's it's very disorienting. I wanted to get into that. The Overlook Hotel is actually, I think, a great comparison because when they first pull up to the house to scope it out, Vingarim says. Man, look at it. It's massive. And it's a big house. It's a yeah. it's a pretty large house. It it's it's to, like a small mansion. It used to be a funeral home. Right. They, but it's, they clarify that. It's not the overlook, right? Like it's not massive. It's a large home. Yeah. And which which I love too, because like for them too, like they're living in the projects and whatnot. Like for them, I mean it's still like it's extravagant and it's mm-hmm. it's massive, uh compar- comparatively too. Um, but again, it's not the biggest building ever. It's not a Beverly Hills mansion. And it's also not big enough necessarily to contain all of the things we see within it, especially the spaces between the walls and how large they are. Mm-hmm. And I love this because it's another way of showing the film, again, through the, the child protagonist's eyes. It's that same feeling of uh, going back to a location when you're an adult and feeling like it's all much smaller than yeah. it really was. Mm-hmm. You know, your height only changes by a couple heads. You know, like you're you don't get that much larger physically when you return to a location as an adult. Yeah. What's happened is your knowledge of the space uh, and of spaces in general as 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 developed, and so a place feels smaller. Uh, and so here, this movie does a great job of using the sets to show us this location from a child's eyes and and makes these spaces between the walls even larger and this building feel even more labyrinthine than it probably actually is. And we're seeing almost like the memory of this kid, you know, like uh, as he, you know, he comes into this house. And so this could almost be like the events that take place could potentially be even closer to reality it's just like how we're perceiving it through a child's mind and that's awesome like well done like well done yeah i love all the sets god i would love to see some behind the scenes of this movie uh and figure out like what they shot on location because the interior of the house like it feels like a really old building but they're they're blasting it apart at times with the 12 yeah gauge. i mean it's definitely a set yeah, yeah like like there's they definitely there's no doubt. built it i, I would guess we never that, see out the windows as well I so would, that makes i it would easier. guess that they've probably found a house and did an exterior shot they mm-hmm. had some found a place to do exteriors for like when they're snooping around the house but i think the entire inside of the house was on a sound stage mm-hmm. I, would, I would guess yeah um similar to the the blair witch house <laughs> that we watched in that behind the scenes but good but good yeah um yeah exactly but good um that also was well dressed in its credit but yeah sure it's just a the bad movie. movie yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, this is a great this movie is a great example of what you can do with a with a really elaborate, uh, cool set like that um, in in a in a movie that's actually fun. Because it just it really does feel like it was, it's been there like for generations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like slowly built upon and changed over time and also made to still be disguised like as a normal home. Because, you know, like later on the police show up, you know, they come through and like they're able to wine and dine them. 
check everything out. I do think that's pretty funny. It's one of the it's one of the less realistic things about the movie. Um, but I don't mind it because the movie's so goofy. But like when the cops come in and search it from top to bottom, all of the walls and stuff are fixed. They don't have the shotgun uh, blast holes in them and everything. Even though Big Ed was running around with his shotgun immediately before the police showed up, mm-hmm. so they would not have had time to repair any of that stuff. Hey. It's just not and there. When he the just quickly in. got out of his gimp suit. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, and that introduction for up. his character is so good. I think we see. Do we see his face beforehand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we see him as yeah. a person, and then it just cuts to him in a in a gimp suit, like in a gimp suit with the Rottweiler and a twelve gauge, just running around the house, like cackling and screaming. It's like his and hunting, shooting into it's the like walls, his hunting outfit randomly, yeah. and uh, and the ceiling, like he's he's just firing this thing all over the place. And I think too, like they, that can almost be explained away as like it's from a child's mind like maybe he's not firing the 12 gauge as much as we're seeing I think he or is. whatever and, and you know like maybe they're just like putting up a, a painting in front of like some of those spots or moving a rug like a rug over uh you know like some of these like blast holes and stuff which again is all all very fun but no i i love that like yeah i just him like cackling like like uh it, it's it, if it wasn't for the fact that he was wearing a gimp suit it would feel very peter pan and i wanted to bring up peter pan <laughs> Because okay. now you you laugh you laugh. That's not where I thought you were going. But it's well. Well, here's the thing though. Like he gets into the house. Let's introduce the other characters, and then I will explain how this movie is basically Peter Pan. Okay. All right. So he gets into the house. He sees the horrible people under the stairs. Yes. Right. He's like, oh fuck this, I'm out. We see them. They have flashlights, and they just look like kind of they look like ghouls, basically. Yeah. Well, and see, this is uh, early on at the beginning of the podcast. I said like about this point in the film, I was a little concerned. Because when you have a title like People Under the Stairs, I was expecting like Cronenberg monsters under the stairs. And we see them and they're basically zombies, you know, like they're or zombified people. Uh, like just the life has mostly been is mostly gone from them. They're tired. They're hungry and they're, emaciated, emaciated, and you know, ragged, and, yeah. and uh, coming for the boy. That ends up, of course, being a huge point of the plot yeah. and working very well. One thing I love about them is they kind of look like metalheads. Yeah. And I think that was intentionally done because this came out right around the same time as the PMRC and music bands and them trying to go after uh, explicit music, Quiet Riot and all that stuff. Hair metal was moving into grunge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they were trying to ban this type of music. The the government was. So I think it was partially trying to hide it under the stairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I think partially. Well, Thanks, and, Tipper and, Gore. And, and and obviously a lot of them got their their tongues cut out because mm-hmm. you don't want them to, you know, have a voice, have their voice. Yeah. And it's just directly commenting on that. I think, which is great. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, and, and narratively, they look they look like metalheads because they've got the long hair because they've been living under the stairs and haven't been able to yeah. cut it. They've got the long hair Gutter nails punk. and stuff. I do, I think it's really funny that when, that they give them all flashlights. Like when they when they shove when they shove them down into the basement, like they send them with a flashlight. So it's like at one point later on, like all of the people under the stairs, like they all they're like all running around like moaning and shambling, but they all have flashlights. <laughs> It's just a very funny visual to me. Yeah, no, it's uh, great. And, and, you know, they use them to, to blind Big Ed later so so Fool can get away or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's fun, too, because, like, their tongues have been cut out. And from our protagonist's perspective, when they're first introduced, they're monsters. Yes. You know? And uh, giving them tools makes you feel even more so like they're working for the villains. 
You know? Sure. Um, and I like that. And it's explained away in a fun way, too, later. So he gets upstairs, and we've also been introduced to the daughter. Alice. Alice. Yes. Wonderful. Uh, so uh, We were just talking about Alice in Chains before the podcast. We were, man in the box. Uh, so, uh, I'm the man under the stairs. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're introduced to Alice, um, who is uh, not literally, but metaphorically in Chains. And she is, uh, you know, uh, very much the uh, damsel in distress. She's mm-hmm. the princess in the tower uh, that maybe fool can save. Sort of the, the kids' movie equivalent of like a love interest. And so she is clearly being like horribly treated and abused, you know, by her parents and her very uh, clearly conservative, deeply religious parents. Deeply religious. Making her say her prayers and, you know, beating her if she sins and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The usual fare. Um, and Reaganites. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, she sees Fool like when he's first coming into the house. And she uh, brings him into a room and uh, delivers a great deal of exposition. Mm-hmm. And that's when we're, we're introduced to Big Ned or Big Ed. <laughs> Big Ed uh, in the gimp suit running around the walls shooting at someone who yeah. is clambering around. We're hearing cackling from inside the walls uh, and scrabbling as he's running around firing his shotgun, his 12 gauge uh, randomly. And she tells us that that is Roach. Mm-hmm. Um, and Roach is one of the people under the stairs who got out. Who's managed to get out and has been running around hiding in the walls of yeah. the house. For presumably a pretty long time. <laughs> yeah. um, and that uh, it is also revealed to us that the people under the stairs are other people who have been captured by this family. Their tongue's been removed, as we said, and uh, forced to live under there. And uh, Well, it's even more so than that, they were kidnapped as children uh, because Ed and... Uh, Big Ed and Nadine are trying to have that nuclear family, but uh, they do so by kidnapping children and trying to raise them as their own. And they've managed to do that with Alice. She learns later that she's been kidnapped. She doesn't realize that she's not their their daughter at first. Um, but they've all they wanted to have a boy child, too, you know, so they can be a mom and a dad and son and daughter. But all of the boys that they've kidnapped haven't behaved. Yeah, they haven't been able to brainwash them or control them. They act out or try to escape or whatever. So they cut their tongues out and shove them in the basement and uh, feed them uh, other people that that come into the house like servicemen and stuff that they kill and then feed to the people under the stairs. And to show the limited worldview, and I love this, uh, like Alice says, you know, but at least they're given flashlights. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. At, least at least they're given flashlights. Which is a great way to hand wave that, like, that, that, uh, that idea. Um, or, or, and why, you know, like, yeah. the, they have flashlights. Uh, so, yeah, we're introduced to Roach, you know, this other, this potential savior character who appears from behind one of the wall panels and ushers in uh, a fool uh, to try and escape shenanigans ensue they're running through the walls we see roach for a good while like he he does all sorts of things before eventually he uh dies yeah you know yeah um and uh you know it's sort of he's been trying to lead out of the house as well or get fooled to safety but he asks fool to save alice as well yes and and you know in his death like fool can sort of like take up the mantle and you know Mm -hmm. he sort of becomes a new roach Okay, that's all the characters introduced. I can get finally get into Peter Pan. my com- Peter Pan comparison. My Peter Parison. Um, so 
the whole idea of like first off roach just looks kind of like peter pan he's got like the short kind of frayed haircut um and he's very elf like in his appearance i would say more goblin-esque well but, very okay. <laughs> uh like uh, old school elf like um but he's very thin and gangly yeah. uh and yeah. and you know so is peter pan in that sort of way, right? And he's got all of his lost boys. Mm-hmm. And he is sort of the leader of the people under the stairs. It is all very lost boys-like. And he's the only one who can sort of travel between the realms, you know, this, like, fantasy world and, you know, these these kids who keep getting captured and kidnapped, largely by Captain Hook. And so I love that we sort of see this same dynamic between Roach and Ned, or Big Ned, uh, as like Peter Pan and Captain Hook and him chasing down Peter Pan. Uh, and uh, sort of a similar comparison with Wendy and Alice as well. Who's the crocodile? Um, uh, Nadine. Nadine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so there you go. Except she's not trying to eat Captain yeah. Hook. Yeah, well, Nadine, really it would be the, uh, the, the second-in-command kind of goofy character, I forget. Um, uh, Captain Hook's sort of second-in-command, I forget. Smee. Smee, yeah, it'd be like Smee. But like, um, or really, she's Captain Hook, and and it, Big Ed yeah. is me. It's not yeah. a perfect <laughs> metaphor, but like you see what I'm getting at. Like, like it has that same children's movie sort of you know vibe. I'll allow it. Yeah, um, I think it's a stretch, but I'll allow yeah. it. I think it's fun. The house is almost like this like fucked up Neverland where we keep coming across new you know new new set pieces, and Captain Hook keeps showing up to try and like fuck everything up again. It's fun. Like, and they're just they're just trying to get the fuck out. Well, along their escape attempt. I will say there is a bit of animal death in this movie. Oh yeah. yeah. Prince. Um, Prince is killed because it, it is trying to kill them. Yep. And Which seems reasonable, I will say. Yeah. Well, I really appreciated that they had Big Ned accidentally kill the dog instead. So they set it up where it's like the dog is coming after them. They hold the dog up to the wall, and as Big Ned is randomly firing around, I think he gets a knife out at that point. He's run out of ammo or whatever. No, he has a um, bayonet. He has a bayonet. Yeah, yeah. And of, he's he's stabbing his, randomly he's stabbing through the wall because yeah. you get that that fun those fun shots of the the dagger coming through the wall and the kids having to avoid it and whatnot. Yeah. Um. And then yeah, they they lift up the dog and he stabs it. So yep. they have the villain kill the dog instead of the protagonist, uh, at least, and it couldn't stick around there's no way to do that right and i think it's handled very well you know no one likes when they kill the dog in the movie but you know it was yeah but i will say in this movie this is also the same dog that uh we see them feeding human body parts to yeah you, you can't really come back from that it's like i mean the the dog it's, it's a good boy but also like it is a it is like a vicious trained attack dog mm. that is like chasing these children through the walls and, trying to maul them to death and you know during so i wasn't too i wasn't too upset that they killed the dog i I wasn't at all like uh and it it works largely as well because they use puppetry at the right times and they don't show it in gratuity all you see is him stab the wall and then pull the dagger out and there's blood and he thinks he's gotten the kids i do i do love the scene where um where nadine feeds the dog like a a a hand i think it's the the hand of um ving rames's partner who is one of the first to die because like they they obviously like made that hand out of real meat so the dog could actually eat it i would love to know like exactly how they they made that that hand prop because it's very it's very tactile like we do see the dog like actually eating it like it's got bones and stuff in it um so very nice little practical effects there yeah all the people bits like look great yeah um for what they are <laughs> i love that dog uh and he, he just yeah they get they get so much good screen time screen time out of out of them let's talk about the dynamic between 
Big Ed and Nadine. Sure. Oh, yeah. Well, they essentially reveal right. that. Well, before that, too, like the delivery. Sorry to get you up, but like the the delivery of of information on them is excellent because you first off just assume that they're like a husband and wife, which they are, but also their relationship dynamic is weird because Nadine keeps referring to Big Ed as like like in a very motherly tone. She calls him daddy, and he calls her mother. Right, like a nuclear family. That's yeah, right. they yeah. call each other mo- mother and 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 daddy. So, um, I mean, I think that is. I think they're. They don't even ever actually have names. I think in the credits, they're just man and woman, which yeah. is which is very good. But yeah, also, great. like, it is that sort of perversion of the the nuclear family where there's definitely like a weird sexual vibe about it as well. Barry. There's tons of repression. I mean, yes. the fucking gimp suit. Yes. You know, but uh, later on, it's revealed that they can't have kids, and that's why they're stealing them, because they are brother, brother and, and sister. sister. Yeah. And I think that takes the child kidnapping stuff and makes it even more understandable and uh well and also just increases the heights of like the weird perversion of these characters that is already so high at that point it's like how do you make these characters even more repulsive oh they're also brother and sister yeah they're inbred yeah and, yeah you, it's implied too that like they're not the first in that line it's that a texas a, chainsaw massacre yeah, there's situation a, there's a long history of this family doing doing these kinds of things mm-hmm. and the depravity uh, and that they've been doing weird incest shit for generations. But instead of do- taking the Texas Chainsaw route, they make them uh, Reaganites instead of uh, uh, weird deformed hillbillies. Yeah. And I love I love that. I love the idea of taking like the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre family and making them look just like normal citizens. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to hide in society that, ooh, creepy, you know. Uh, yeah, well, making them making them the elites, making them part of the ruling class, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and it plays into this idea that it's such an extreme exclusionary ideology that there is no one else that can, you know, be part of the family except right. for them. Right. You know, and that's kind of the struggle of them trying to find... Keep- yeah, Ki- the the appropriate kids and not being able to find them because they have such an exclusionary ideology of the elites and, mm. you know, they can't find what they're looking for. And it makes them seem even more absurdly evil. And yeah. yeah and, and, and two, it allows for Alice's character to not be like a byproduct of incest as well right um uh which they go out of their way to make clear it's like yeah they're not your actual yeah, she parents. was also kidnapped yeah um because i was making jokes before like that was re- like that was made in like that was made clear in the exposition and and you know just sort of being like i don't care if she's inbred i love her you know like kind of thing like from fool's perspective uh but like no they, they make that clear regardless i don't think that that's necessary like either way like she has no agency over that you know right. scenario but it's fine you know well, they, they felt the need what i what i think is interesting too is that like midway through the film fool does escape the house yes and goes home 
and it has like some some gold coins that he's found and like his grandpa or or you know some friendly elderly character i can't remember the exact relationship is like well oh yeah well with these gold coins you're gonna have enough to pay your rent for you know forever you got you know we can we just take them to a coin seller and 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 get some cash and that's like an hour into the movie, 45 minutes into the movie. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, it could end here. He's escaped. He's gotten the, he's gotten what he needs to make sure his family can still pay the rent. But he goes back because of Alice. Alice is still trapped because Alice is still trapped there. And fool cannot abide by the idea of her being trapped in that horrifying place with these horrifying, cruel, monstrous people. And also because before Roach died, the last thing he does is write Alice's name in the dust on the wall to like tell a fool, like take her with you, get out and take her with you. So he ends up going back and putting himself back into danger. Which is such a great, like, hero's arc, because his motivation, while just, is selfish at the beginning. And again, just just as hell, like, his mom has cancer, like, they're gonna be moved out, like, it's all, it doesn't need to be built on, but they still do in such a beautiful way. Well, he's, he's, he's he's called fool because of... His sister, who's obsessed with doing, like, tarot card readings, she's the one who calls him fool because that is his card, as she says. And the fool is, like, the one who is set upon the journey to seek the world. Yeah. So that is his his lot. His you know, archetype, his, yeah. His archetype. So he, even after getting the gold coins and escaping, he still is unable to just stay away. He has what you could definitely consider a a foolish uh, uh, sort of need to put himself back into danger to try to save out. Yeah, so like, yeah, our hero has to return to the Shadow Realm to save his friend instead of... You know, like, even though he has everything he needs now, you know, well, and I, and I, say, I love that. So I, it's, it's, it's selfless. I entirely. really love that they make the choice to have him go back, because I think the third act is what takes this movie from anti Reagan commentary to something truly revolutionary and leftist. And yes. like this movie is maybe the most revolutionary leftist horror movie of all time by the third act yeah. uh, because of some of the moves they make. But yeah, the the fact that he not only goes back but lets the neighborhood that you know he grew up in know. Yeah, well, about he tells it. he lets his sister know that he's going back, and his sister shows up to the house later and like bangs on their door to like demand that like the the landlords like give them money basically to demand that they like redistribute some of the wealth and like you can't just evict us. Um, so like, yeah, the, the, not, not only in the, in the climax, you know, are they running around the house trying to, to kill fool and stab him with a bayonet and shoot him with a shotgun and whatnot, but there's also an angry mob outside the house. Mm-hmm. Distracting which, the antagonists. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is awesome. And, uh, it works with the ending so well too, because the final showdown between Big Ed and Fool is in their sort of a horde room in the basement where they keep all of their money, which is literally, it's like, uh, I, I, Cleveland, I think you made a, 
somebody made a Scrooge McDuck reference uh, while we were watching because it's very much just like a big room just like overflowing with money with just <laughs> yeah. like bills and coins and stuff um, and and Fool does a great little trick uh, to distract Big Ed where he like um, shoves coins into candles like into the side of candles oh, in a so candelabra smart. so like as the wax burns down the coins will fall and it sounds like he's like hiding behind something like counting coins yeah um, and i love that monologue too for big ned like it's it's so good uh is it big ed or big ned i keep big ed, big ed. Big ed. okay is the, the character in yeah, twin peaks yeah. i think you're doing ned because it's big ed and nadine oh yeah yeah <laughs> so you're, you're turning them into one character um so uh, anyway, uh, I love that monologue from him where he he comes he comes around the corner and you know he, he enters the vault and he says, "Oh, you're counting coins. You're counting my money. Well, I can't blame you. I come in here to count coins myself from time yeah. to time <laughs> just to remind myself of all my wealth. Like very fun. Uh, and then you know for him to turn the corner, have that reveal uh, where it's the the candle and just the wax is slowly melting and the, so the coins are falling one at a time. So smart. And you know he turns around and the kid is there holding the dynamite yeah because he also keeps his dynamite in his money room right which is so funny like the fact that they have so much dynamite in this room that they, he has like big ed has set up like parts of the house to explode he is like rigged traps in the house with dynamite which is fucking hilarious but also it feels uh it it feels so much like the like the old school like robber baron kind of like old west villain <laughs> who's like i got all his money but also i got my dynamite <laughs> <laughs> well the way i read it is it's like the ideology behind it is you know big ed and nadine are like if I can't have the money, no, no one, one can, can. Yeah. you know, and it yeah. makes so much sense. If in someone that else context, tries to take the money, yeah. it just gets destroyed. Yeah. Well, the, the great thing is when they, they do end up blowing up Love the that. house at the end. But what it actually does is instead of destroying the money is it blows all the money into the air. So it rains down upon the, the mob outside, mm -hmm. you know, the neighborhood. So they really do at the end, like return the, the, the money to the they redistribute the wealth yeah yeah the i mean honestly the the message of this movie is kill your landlords and, and redistribute their, yeah. their wealth <laughs> uh, which is a uh, praxis i guess yeah. yeah it's perfect like that is uh that that is the message that we need for 2021 you said it i yep I said it. Um, uh, uh, careful. Uh, 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 Satire. Yep. Exaggeration. Yep. All that something. Stuff. Something inciting violence. Game. You know. Uh, yeah. While talking about a violent movie. My life a video game. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, no, uh, it's great, and I love that. Like, uh, and yeah, so poignant. This idea, yeah, of just redistributing the wealth, uh, blow, burn it all down, redistribute the wealth back to the community. Very fun. I, I absolutely love the final shot of. Uh, one of the people under the stairs just wandering through the crowd. All of them people. do. Yeah, yeah, all of yeah. them. We do yeah, get it from that one guy's perspective. Yeah, yeah. These hair one metal zombies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they just like, and nobody's paying attention to them because they're literally having money rained down upon their heads. Mm -hmm. So the hair metal zombies just 
run off into the night. Yep, just reintegrate it back into society as the money falls well, yeah, like down. That's, that's the thing is like, what are they going to do, man? They don't. They've been under the stairs for years. They don't have tongues. They don't have anywhere to go. They're yeah. just going to go live on the street. And, and they've been eating people. <laughs> so they're just going to be. Now I want to see the sequel to the people under the stairs yeah, where they you know, form prions are a thing. Like it's, it's a problem a, where they form a street, a, a cannibalistic street gang, yeah. and uh, and uh, kill people in the night. <laughs> Yeah, they Chud. They, Chud is the sequel yeah, to, to yeah. People Under the Stairs. They, you know, form a, a gutter punk band, uh, put out a couple of a nice literal gutter LPs. punk band because yeah. they live in the gutter. I, I, li- I like to think that now that the wealth has been injected back into the community, these these people can can seek re- rehabilitation. Or yeah, whatever. I hope like, they're. I think that's the idea. Like, I, I think that's what it's setting they, up. Before they run off, they at mm-hmm. least fill their pockets. Because like that that is you know part of it is like like anyone who does escape any of those people who escape from the house like they would just become homeless and destitute anyway right and like that is also a huge concern especially present day like with like the homeless you know not having anywhere to go and there not being any rehabilitation programs um and in many cases too mental institutions just turning people out yep. uh onto the street and you know call the, the the problem becomes incestuous it you know it, it folds back in on itself and once again, there's a solution there. It's we redistribute the wealth, or at least as this movie says. I'm not saying shit, but uh, I sure love it. I sure love this movie. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you I'll that. I'll say it. Redistribute uh, the wealth. Yeah, redistribute the wealth. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that that's a uh, an inflammatory thing to say. No, I, I don't think saying redistribute the wealth is inflammatory. I think I think saying kill your landlords is uh, is yeah, inflammatory. Which is why you shouldn't say that. Explicitly saying kill your no, landlords. no. But, but it sure is saying, great in the movie. But I am saying redistribute it, the wealth. It sure is great in the movie isn't it it yep it's great in the movie nadine's character is is wonderful like uh we didn't give her a lot of attention but like all of her scenes where she chews on the scenery are great um yeah and- she's she's like really the the real mastermind kind of yeah um, um, the one pulling the strings, sort mm-hmm. of. Oh, literally too, with like their her her little control box. Oh yeah, in the house. And one other point as well is I think that this movie comes right up the line on child sexual abuse and pulls back like uh, twice. Oh, yeah, like there are two scenes where Alice is about that. like bathed in the scalding water. They come very close on that one, and then also when she's chained up in the basement with Big Ed. That gets right on the like you're just like uh uh-uh. uh and then and then the movie cuts away and it's like okay you know like or it, the, he leaves you know like um yeah. and it's it's right on the edge we know it we don't need to see it there's enough implied in the dialogue yeah. with him him thinking like even like fool who was just a kid you know running around is like he's after Alice you know yeah. uh, and all, all the rest of it and again well, it's, it's just yeah, more I mean, of that horrible you know certainly, like it's we know that it's, shit. that it's certainly not si- outside of the realm of believability for them like he's already yeah uh, it, he's already in in a in a sexual relationship with his sister so he clearly would have no qualms about also sexually abusing his adopted or kidnapped daughter it's it's fucked um, up yeah, yeah like like they're yeah but I, I agree with you. They imply it without ever going there and making that gratuitous. They get real it close. Does, it they does get not, real it close. Does not need to be done. No. They imply it enough that like it just adds to how monstrous and disgusting these people are, which I think they should be. I think they should be as monstrous and evil as possible. Like that is the point. I think they do a great job of that, and uh, they do it without making it gratuitous in the wrong ways. So, Promise. kudos. To Wes Craven for knowing where to draw the line. (laughs) Yes. Most definitely. Most definitely. 
And I think that's it for me. Like I, uh, yeah, I, I adore this film. The uh, score of this movie is really oh, solid. Uh, I wanted to just briefly mention that you know it's a mixed uh, mix of uh, synth stuff and mm-hmm. you know more symphonic stuff at times. I think it's just really fun. Yeah, it's it's horror. It's like carpentry, like horror synth when it needs to be, and then it's like bombastic Peter Pan Home Alone when it needs to be, and it does a great job of like you know going back and forth between the two, like uh, always servicing the scene uh, wonderfully. Well, Ben, this was your pick, so uh, you can do the honors of being the first to write. Sure. Uh, so you know, a lot of times when you revisit a movie you first saw and enjoyed in high school. Or middle school. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's always a questionable experience. Yes. Um, but this is a case where it surpasses my memory. And I think it's even better than I remember. And I think it's more relevant than ever. Um, I think it's a fantastic movie. I, I'm i going to give it a four out of five. Uh, really great. And I think, you know, it's a cult classic. And it's one that everyone should definitely check out. Yeah, I think this is definitely uh, an underrated uh, Wes Craven flick. Um, This was my first time seeing it. I've seen quite a few of Wes Craven's films. Um, Big fan, obviously, of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream, uh, which we'll definitely talk about on the show at some point. And not The Crow, because he didn't direct Uh, that. I don't think he did, no. He didn't. Uh, (laughs) uh, And uh, uh, the original Last House on the Left, which was one of his early films, is uh, fantastic fantastic uh, and the original hills have eyes uh but yeah like uh people under the stairs has flown under my radar for a really long time and it was a uh, a very pleasant viewing experience i i enjoyed it quite a bit um oh, i so think it's he also did the hills have eyes so he has in another movie with like mole people in it yeah fun the, the original hills have eyes not the 2003 remake that alexander cool. asia because that, that was the one thing i, I wanted out of this movie it wouldn't have worked and i'm glad it wasn't in there but i did want some creepy mole people uh so i need to go watch the original because yeah, he did the original cool. hills have eyes yeah. Um, but yeah, I, this was, this was a a really pleasant surprise, um, and just chalk up another great film for Wes Craven. Uh, it's going to be a strong four out of five for me as well. Uh, I think last podcast, uh, I, I asked the same question and I, I liked it. Uh, I thought I got some good feedback from you guys. So I'm going to ask it again. Uh, both of y'all gave it really strong four out of fives. What is stopping you from giving it a five out of five? Uh, similarly to the last time you asked this question, it's, it's a, it's a great film, but it's still missing a little oomph to, to put it, you know, really over the line for me. Like I, I especially thinking about it in comparison to some of Wes Craven's other films like the original Nightmare on Elm Street or Scream, uh, which are films that I like more than this one. Um, and that I would rate higher than than this one. Uh, it's it's a great film, but it's just like it's not it's not of quite the same caliber of excellence. Yeah. yeah, and I think one part of it for me is I keep envisioning them remaking it and seeing that they haven't hit the ceiling for this premise and they could make it even better the traps could get even more extravagant yeah Yeah. extravagant there there is more i think that uh could be done with this movie i I see they could could easily make it worse but for example with nightmare on elm street you can't remake that movie because it's perfect as is you know they tried tried, but they failed but with this like you could definitely remake it and make it 
even better. Yeah, there's. I wouldn't say there's anything necessarily lacking from this movie, but it could be. I, I do think that there's room for it to be made yeah. even better. As long as, like, yeah, I would, and I would be and concerned. That's why, and that's why I, I don't give it a five star. Yeah. A five, a five out of five for me mm-hmm. is a film that uh, could not be better. Yeah, eyes. That, I, that could that that does absolutely everything it needs to to be a truly perfect film and that there's no way to make it better. I'm into that. I think uh, one thing that's interesting about about that idea, too, like like it could have more, which I, I do agree with in this film. I think you could have more traps, more fun, fun events taking place and flesh out the story a little bit in, in a few areas or change it up in, a, in some neat ways that say new things. Also, it's good to be careful about that sort of thing because you can end up with a lot of like a lot of remakes often go that route where it's like yeah we'll do the original but bigger and you end up with like okay it's the same star wars battle scene but now it's got twice as many ships and the ships are twice as big and it's like "Eh, that's not you know like that's not the point um but i think in this movie like you could have some more bigger traps and some other more elaborate things i think a good example of a film that does have more elaborate traps and bigger things but is a worse movie is the collector yes uh like that that's a film that is exactly that um fantastic example uh but anyway uh to go to my rating um i agree like i think that like it could have that um but i'm gonna go ahead and give us that little extra bump because beyond that like i don't like from my current perspective you know maybe there's something i'm missing or that uh is you know maybe makes this film not as good or whatever but in my eyes i'm gonna give it a 4.5 because i just i really really liked this one and i'd love to watch it again anytime Awesome. Well, that will give the people under the stairs an average of 4.2 out of 5 pods, and I think a resounding recommendation from all three of us. If you haven't seen this one, check it out. Um, Next week is my pick, correct, Ben? Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, uh, I am taking us from one horror auteur to another. Um, we're going from Wes Craven to John Carpenter. We oh, haven't yes. we haven't done a John Carpenter movie in a hot minute, and there are so many fucking good ones. It's and I always think it's, time, and I think it's about time that we that we start hitting some of those. So uh, we are going to talk about next week one of my personal favorites, um, which is Prince of Darkness, uh, the second in John Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy. And, what are the uh, others? The Thing and uh, In the Mouth of Madness. All right. Mm-hmm. They're not literally a trilogy, mm-hmm. but they are all about... Thematically similar. Yeah, they're all about uh, a something that could bring upon... That will bring upon the apocalypse. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, Tell uh, me no more. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're going to do Prince of Darkness next week. Uh, ben and I actually just rewatched this one mm-hmm. pretty recently, yeah. uh, and I am already excited to watch it again and get to talk about it. I can't wait to see it for the Fantastic first time. Fantastic movie. Yeah, truly, truly uh, a great experience, and uh, I'm excited for you, Cleveland, to be able to see it for the first time. Um, so, yeah, join us next week for Prince of Darkness. Uh, Cleveland, who is our sponsor today? Oh, shoot. Uh, 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 Bernie Sanders. 
Yes. I endorse that as well. Uh, yeah, this is brought to you by uh, a man who wants to redistribute wealth back to the community. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, not, uh, even specifically, a, not even a joke. Yeah, I, I, um, uh, or, or, yeah, I will say it's uh, uh, not literally sponsored by, but at least dedicated to. Brought to uh, you by Bernie's Sand. Oh, oh no, we revealed some of our politics. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> you could, how could you have guessed that uh, some, uh, you know, like lower middle class white dudes, you know, like talking on a podcast regularly would be Bernie fans. Ah, oh, shoot. Surprise, we're oh, leftists. Oh, no, we we've got never, political. We've never said oh, that before. Oh, God. Oh, well, I guess we're... Whatever. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, no, this episode is brought to you by uh, uh, Sally's Splendid Stairs and Slides. Uh, uh, <laughs> and also Shoots and Ladders. There you go. <laughs> okay, great. Well, that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. If you like the show, leave us a five-star rating and a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the show on your pod catcher of choice. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod and uh, also our letterbox at letterbox.com slash PodPeoplePod. I'm the man in the letterbox. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. I am on Twitter at Some Spooky Snake. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And I'm occasionally tweeting for Light Arc Studio as we further progress on its stairs back. Tower Call. You can also find my art in the Dreadx Collection games, or at least one and two and the bundle. Um, and uh, uh, my work on ArtStation. Uh, if you search Cleveland Mosier, uh, check me out. I've got all sorts of fun doodles and drawings and paintings and occasionally do a little freelance work um, uh, in my downtime. So... Yeah, hit me up. Look up some art. That's all from me. All right. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, as always, remember to uh, redistribute the wealth. And, uh, you know, maybe someday the president will make you the secretary of pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You got it in. <laughs> <laughs>